At the beginning of the pandemic, Twinetta Weaver was a manager for a large timeshare company. And one morning, while getting ready for work, her phone rang. I get this call, and it's my boss on the other line. I look at the time. It's pretty early at this point. Generally, I wouldn't get a call that early, work-related. So I thought something was a little odd at that point. She says, hold on for one second. Don't hang up. And then she conferences in someone else on the other line. And she introduces her as the HR manager. So I instantly felt like, well, this can't be good. Did I do something wrong? What's going on? My heart was pounding. And the words that she says to me, you know, Twinetta, you have done nothing but worked your butt off for the organization. And we appreciate everything that you've done. But we're so sorry. We're going to have to eliminate your position. Today is your last day. I felt like someone punched me in my chest. I literally had no air to breathe. In that moment, I saw my entire life, and it may seem so extreme to say this, but I just saw the worst of every outcome possible. I saw me homeless. I saw me without a car. I saw my electricity being off. I saw water bill not being able to be paid. No internet, no money for food. Why did your mind flash to those things? When you come from such a humble beginning and just understanding a lot of how America works, you know, I've always felt that I had to work twice as hard to get half as far. That was how I felt just being a Black woman. Black and Latina women were hit harder during the pandemic than other groups, and they were already among the most financially fragile groups in this country to begin with. Studies have repeatedly shown that they're less likely to own property, less likely to inherit money, and less likely to invest in the stock market than their white counterparts. They also face a gender pay gap and a racial pay gap. For many, losing their jobs was a devastating financial setback, a setback that could take years to recover from. So today, we hear from three of those women about what getting laid off in the pandemic has meant for them. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, May 3rd. Coming up on the show, three women of color on losing their jobs and how they hope to rebuild as the U.S. economy starts to recover. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. One of the reasons Twinetta felt so much fear after losing her job was because of how tough things were financially while growing up. You know, finances was always a very touchy subject in my household, just because we did not have a lot. My mother and my grandmother, they worked extremely hard to stretch money as far as it could go. Something as simple as a field trip I would want to go and participate on. I couldn't do it. 
if the cost was more than five to $10, it was out of the question. And so I just knew early on that if I wanted to have money, I was probably going to have to work really hard for it. A lot of people come from backgrounds like this, but Black and Latina women are less likely than white women or men to have generational wealth to help them at the start of their financial lives, which means they can start off at a disadvantage. And that disadvantage can follow them through their entire lives. It can make it harder to build up emergency savings or save for retirement. Black families have about four times less cash in the bank than white families do, according to a study from the Federal Reserve. Our colleague Veronica Dagger has been reporting on this, and she put us in touch with three women who shared their stories with us today. For Twinetta, she says that growing up, she didn't see other Black people with real wealth, and she didn't have anyone to teach her about personal finance. So there was one moment when she was working at a bank years ago that really stood out. This couple walks in, Black couple, woman and a guy, And I don't know if they were contractor and customer or if they were husband and wife. I couldn't tell. What I did know is that they had serious bank, lots of money in their bank account. And I just felt like, okay, this is a shot in the dark and I probably shouldn't ask her this, but I'm going to ask her anyway. And I asked, you seem pretty young. (laughs) And, you know, um, I just have to say, you have a lot of zeros behind that one in your bank account. (laughs) She laughed so hard. And she just said, you know what? No one in my family knows how much money I have. You're the only person that knows. And I thought that was pretty funny. And I said, okay, well, she's friendly and she's opening up. Let me just go ahead and dig a little bit deeper if she'll let me. And I asked her, so what do you do for business? I mean, how do you make your money? I aspire to be where you are. And she mentioned that she flipped homes. Hmm. You know, in that experience, I will never forget it. Because that was the first time I've ever seen anyone of my complexion have that kind of money. And I know it's legit. This was kind of a light bulb moment for Twinetta. Home ownership is one of the main ways Americans can build wealth. It's an asset that tends to appreciate in value over time, and it can be passed down to your kids, giving them a huge financial advantage. Unfortunately, this encounter led Twinetta to one of her first big financial setbacks— Inspired by the woman at the bank, she invested in a rental property, but she invested at the height of the housing bubble. After the housing market crashed in 2007, she lost all the money she put in and more. You know, at that time, I didn't have anyone that I could rely on that could give me advice. My mom did not own a home. So when I, growing up, we didn't have ownership. We were renters. So it was definitely something brand new for me to experience. So what did you ultimately do with the house? So I ended up selling it. It was upside down. And I cut a check to get rid of the remaining balance. Oh, wow. And I walked away from that. Despite that setback, buying property and having it lose value, Twinetta kept trying to bolster her finances. She had a good job and she got promoted. And she focused on saving through her 401k and other accounts. My salary, you know, was about 85000 a year. I had a 15% bonus. Every bill was covered. In fact, I didn't even need to look at my bank account before I went to the grocery store. It's just such a splurge for me is that I could go into the grocery store, put whatever I want in the buggy and pay for it and know that I'm fine. Before the pandemic, the U.S. economy was the strongest it had been in decades. And like Twinetta, a lot of minority workers were benefiting from it. 
U.S. Census data shows that poverty rates for Black and Hispanic people reached historically low levels in 2019. For Trinetta, losing her job was both an emotional and financial blow. What does your financial picture look like now, a year into this? Well, I will say I was definitely not one of those people who pulled their money out of the 401k. So I do have a Roth. I do have a 401k. I do also have several personal savings. Um, I've probably, since the pandemic, I probably have lost about $25,000 of personal savings, which it takes a hell of a long time to amass $25,000. How much of your savings is that? That's about 50%. My intent was to purchase a new home, but this is slowly chipping, well, quickly, I should say, into my reality and where I see myself. And so it's a bit depressing because there's a lot of years to, to save that much money. So I would say it's probably set me off by a good five to six years. Twinetta was in the middle of her career when she was laid off, but the next woman we spoke with, Alicia Ocampo, was just finding her financial footing when the pandemic hit. Yeah, so my name is Alicia, and I am from Chicago. I am a single mom uh, of a five-year-old now. Alicia had spent the last few years moving between jobs. I started working at Burger King, so I was a cashier at Burger King. Then I went into the mall. I was in retail. A year later, I got pregnant, and so that's when I had my baby, and I couldn't pay for my credit cards and stuff like that. So that's when life got real. (laughs) Alicia found herself working a lot. I was working three jobs. I was working at Bank of America. I was working at the gym late nights. And then I was also doing Uber. Then I went into the serving. Like I was, I was a server where I realized that I was making more than what I was making before, even with three jobs. So that's when I just fell in love with the industry Alicia was a waitress at a Chinese restaurant in downtown Chicago, and she says that she was making enough money to save. And she started thinking about moving into a bigger apartment. I loved what I did. I was excited. I was ready to look for places. I was just in my goals and just focused and thought that I could even pursue more. But then, yeah, but then the pandemic happened, so... In early March, Alicia and her coworkers were at the restaurant getting ready for a dinner shift. We're just watching the news, hearing Governor Pritzker talk about what's going to happen, the mayor as well. They all gathered us and they told us, today this is going to be your last shift. Suddenly, Alicia's plans to move into a bigger place were off. But it wasn't just that. She also didn't have the money to get through the pandemic on her own. She decided to stay with her parents until she could start working again. But that decision came with a lot of mixed emotions. It was complex. Like, it was complicated. I think in the Latino community, one of our values is just family. So I was kind of okay about it. But so it's my mom, my dad, and then it's my four siblings. Then it's me and my son. We all share an apartment, three bedrooms, one bathroom. It's not the best situation. Like my dad, for instance, he works a night shift and he's a factory worker. And so he works the overnight shift. And so I would feel really bad when we were all in lockdown 
And, you know, my son was running around playing with his toys and stuff like that. Or he would do tantrums. And so he would wake up my dad and say it was inconvenient. So I think we all got to the point where we were all tired of each other. Alicia applied for unemployment, but the system was so overloaded and hard to navigate that she went months without receiving payments. How did that feel to be in that situation last year? It was scary. Like, again, it's just being raised with like, oh, you have to protect your money and you have to save it. I didn't want to use it, you know, so I was just, I was scared. But then we were also all in need. And so, I mean, I just used up my savings and I said, you know what, it is what it is. Were you able to do other things to make money during that time? (laughs) We would sell food. We would pack lunches to just, um, so where we live, well, almost like down the block and stuff, there's like construction going on or construction workers. And so we would just offer them like packed lunches that we would make. And it was for our people, you know, for like, we're Mexican. So it would be like either some chicken with rice and beans and things like that. Alicia tried other things too. She helped friends polish their resumes and did some life coaching and personal training. But she says she only made about $1,000 from all that. Overall, Alicia says the pandemic has knocked her way off course. So you're approaching your 30th birthday, is that right? Yeah. Happy early birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Is this where you thought that you'd be at this point in your life? No. (laughs) No, I think at 30, when I was little, I used to think of that at 30... I would be happily married and in a happy home, white picket fence, you know, the American dream. But that's not happening. But that's not everyone's story. Coming up, how one woman is trying to get reparations out of the stock market. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. While the last year has been a big struggle for many women of color, it's created an unexpected opportunity for Monet Williams, a mom of three living near Atlanta, Georgia. So I was actually laid off from my job the day that our county sent everybody home and the day before all of the (laughs) corporations likely shut down. So, you know, never saw it coming. But Monet had some big financial advantages that Twinetta and Alicia did not. Growing up, her family owned a home, so she knew early on about the benefits of home ownership. 
So when Monet's first employer after college offered a moving bonus, she used the money to help buy a house. Another big advantage? When Monet got laid off at the beginning of the pandemic, she got a severance package and a few months of full pay. It gave Monet an idea. What if she invested this money in the stock market? Black women are less likely than white women to invest in the stock market. According to Charles Schwab, only 34% of black women own stocks, whereas 43% of white women do. Where did you get the idea to invest in the stock market? I mean, it was all over the news. The most basic ideal of investing in, in stock is, you know, buy low and sell high. And so when you see this huge dip in the market, in both my husband and myself, in both of our eyes, it could only go up from here. So what should we invest in and how much? And just something in me was then motivated to say, I'm taking advantage of this opportunity today because everything is on sale. Like the stock market was on sale in March of 2020. Monet started out small with just a few thousand dollars. She bought stocks of companies that had been hit especially hard by the pandemic. And she started making money. And then I added, like, when I started taking the stock options, I think I added about 3000 And just gradually, it's gone up from there. This was pivotal for my family's, like, wealth building, our wealth trajectory. Because I was able to take something that, Seems like it would have been a detriment to my family losing a job. And I am the, the breadwinner. I make the majority of the money in the home. But we were able to adjust our finances and start investing. Monet took online trading classes, and she discovered influencers that encouraged Black Americans to think about investing, not just budgeting and saving. So Mark Monroe, he's the founder and producer of a group called The Come Up Cousins. And one of the things that he says that has resonated with me since the time that he said it is that I'm going to teach you how to get your reparations out of the stock market. It's all about making sure that folks who come from underrepresented groups, a.k.a. us, our people, they win. Because if we as a people, if we're not winning, we're not one taking our reparations out of the market. We're not building that generational wealth. Something within me was just excited when I heard that. Like, I literally said out loud, yes. Like, I was, <laughs> like, yes, clapping. Yes, that is what I'm talking about. Get my reparations out of the stock market. And so it was just a statement that resonated with my spirit. Like, you know, this is my motivation. And so that is how I view the stock market. We have, you know, fought tirelessly for basic rights and have made progress, yes, but are not as far as we need to be. So when you think about, you know, where black and brown communities have been historically, um, you think about redlining in our communities, you think about the pay between white people versus black people, you think about our educational system. So everywhere you look, there have been barriers to success for black people. So if we can teach our communities how to invest and how to take those reparations out of the stock market because it can be done, then that's like the best thing going now because it's not happening any other way. Monet wants to use the money she makes in the markets to build generational wealth for her three kids. She says she hopes to be able to pay for things like their college educations, weddings, and even help them one day buy a house. If your investment strategy pays off in the way that you hope, what do you think it will mean for 
your children? I think freedom, financial freedom specifically, because you don't have to worry. There are certain things that they won't have to worry about. There will be other things in life, yes, that they will have worries of, but hopefully financially that will not be one of them. So far, Monet says she's made about $8,400 on her investments. And she just started a new job with Amazon, where she makes more money than she did before the pandemic. But Twinetta and Alicia are still struggling. Alicia is still living with her parents in Chicago and receiving unemployment. She says she wants to get back to working in a restaurant when it feels safe to do that. How would you describe your financial situation now versus before the pandemic hit? Shaky, you know, because you never know what could happen. I mean, I know that my unemployment is going to run out. Yeah, but definitely, like, uncertain right now. It was also, like, a setback in my plans, right? Huge setback. I was, like, on hold. I was on pause. You know, I just had to wait till this was over. And it was just taking forever for it to be over. And it's still not over. Twinetta, meanwhile, is still looking for work and has been hustling to find side jobs. I never stopped working. I opened up a little small business. I was able to get a client, a law firm, where I was able to assist them with some administrative duties and compliance and customer service policies and things like that. I've taken tons of courses, you name it. I've got a certification for uh, hospitality management, and I did Coursera, project management, negotiations. Recently, I've started the Microsoft Office Specialist and doing digital marketing as well. What I'm attempting to do is create an opportunity for myself where no one can say no, because I'm touching every element. I'm educating myself. So the only reason that you'll tell me no is because you have your own personal bias. How does it feel like to have to do that, though? It's like I'm doing too much. I just feel like I don't get a good night's rest. I'm constantly on the go. I have a lot of anxiety because, again, my bills are still at that level where my salary could support it. So for me to take a step back now, it means that I have a deficit. And so I don't have time to breathe. I have to keep moving. That's all for today, Monday, May 3rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Veronica Dagger for her reporting in this story. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.